Good morning. What a beautiful service. That was so nice. Very nice. I, uh, before I get going, first of all, I want to make sure everybody knows they're invited for a fellowship meal afterwards. And um, I want to share with you a picture. This was given to me by Zob. Zob is the, he's uh, by faith an Orthodox Jew at the prison, and he does the, um, like, videoing. So he videoed the choir that we have. Here's a picture of the choir. He videos it, puts it on what's called Channel 59. If people want to listen to some religious programming, uh, they can do that. So the, the gentleman, as you look at it on the right sitting down, is my program aide, huh? Oh, no, I'm going to hand it around. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to pass this around. <laughs> okay, and so um, he'd be like an elder in the church. So he helps with all the programs. He's got a very good voice, very active. Keep him in prayer. His name's Paul. I just wrote a, a recommendation for early release. Um, and... Uh, he has a sister here in Cleveland who's helping start a church. Um, so he has good support when he gets home, which is important. And uh, But he's, he's just an exceptional individual. The other guy sitting down, which is to the left, <laughs> his name is Todd. And I can only give out some interest, you know. So Todd is a, a triplet. Uh, he has a pastoral background. But when he was, they were young. They went around singing. Uh, he sang with the, some of the biggest names you'll ever know in gospel country. Uh, the Bakers, you know, PTL Club, sang with them, knew them. And, and then I'm going to pass around. These are the guys who signed up to be in the choir probably back in October. And they've had some, I don't know, probably a half dozen. Their, their name of the group was called One Voice. So these guys are actually very active, so that can be kind of passed around. Very active in the chapel. And um, I do want to tell you about one story, um, and then we're going to talk about the Christmas story. And um, it was just the day of the Christmas program, which was Thursday night. There was a couple of gentlemen who came to me, and one was a Wiccan. So it's more what we'd call more of a pagan religion, and I don't mean pagan in a negative term. It's just that category. And um, But this Yule time for them is to um, be on some special meals that they call a fast. So they'll eat not during the day. They'll eat the evening meal once sun is set, and then they get a brown bag and, and uh, eat before sunrise. Kind of like Ramadan for Muslims. And... Um, and then they end the fast with pork and wine. I said, that's not happening, obviously. And uh, because actually in the prison system, they can't have pork. Okay? And certainly not the wine. Okay? And uh, so I, I said to him, I said, how would you like, like plant-based ham? He said, oh. And then his face changed. Nah, nah. Because <laughs> to them, it needed to be slaughtered. You know, so... Anyway, but anyway, so the, the gentleman who's a Wiccan, and uh, they're not really, they're recognized by the state, but not by this particular prison because they don't have a volunteer to represent them. And if you don't have a, you can't run your programs because they can't run their own programs. 
So anyway, I said, let's go down to the cafeteria and see if we can get you your meal. So we go down there, and um, and then the guy said, well, you, you have to go through the warden. I said, well, I may not be able to see the warden today. So anyway, but I'll, I'll talk to the secretary. So they, I go to the warden, go to the sec- secretary, warden secretary, and I just submitted these two names. And so, and after that, there was nothing more I could do, you know. And then before the Christmas program starts, and it's dark now, I hear... Chaplain, chaplain, I got my meal. Of course, there's 1,800 guys. I'm not sure what this, you know, I'm supposed to understand this. And I turned around, and it was a guy who was the wicked. And guess who showed up at the Christmas program? The gentleman who's the wicked. Guess who's one of the guys who came up front? You know, the Holy Spirit can work on people's hearts right away. Amen. This guy was probably about as far away in some ways. I don't know what is in his heart. But the things he talked about in their religion, I, you know. And you never know. You should never count anybody out. Because God can change a heart like that. And the guys did such an amazing job in the choir and our praise team. I don't, there's some guys in the picture who are part of the praise team, but it's not the whole praise team. But uh, that's the choir that you see there. And uh, God's changed their lives. And they're all there for a reason. And, uh. And some are there for life. And I just want to share this thought as kind of an introduction to the, to the Christmas story. Some of these guys are there for life. And introducing the thought, what if, what if you got a phone call or a letter and you're 20 years old and you're there for life? And you read the letter or got the phone call and someone says, I'll trade places with you. You can have my house. You can have my car. You can have my job. And I'll take your place. I'll serve out your sentence. See, to them, saying that Jesus took your place means more. Because they... They know some of them are there for 12 months, maybe 12 years, maybe a lifetime. But you know, that actually is part of the Christmas story. Jesus taking our place. And to those guys, that meant everything. I mean, it opens up the whole story that someone really would step in my place where I would face eternal death. And he'd step in my place, take upon himself that experience so that I could live forever. To be in the new Jerusalem, you know, to be part of the heavenly family. Let us pray. Our Father, we just want to thank you for changing hearts. And right now in this Christmas season, we want you to utilize us in handing out literature and sharing a kind word, a kind deed that can make an eternal difference in another person's life. It's why we are organized as a church. We want to thank you for the singing we've heard, the music that's inspired our heart. And be with us, Father, now as we listen to the story that has changed the course of history. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So I'm going to read this, if that's okay. Why do Christians all around the world celebrate the birth of Jesus? This one singular individual, 
Well, Christians believe that Jesus is God's son. Other religions may see him as a great teacher or prophet. But Christians believe that Jesus is a self-existent, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving son of God. Therefore, we celebrate the birth of God's own son becoming one of us. You know, there probably are billions of worlds out there. But he never became one of them. Of all the billions of galaxies and worlds, billions within those galaxies, he chose to put on the flesh of only one intelligent race. Our race. Just think about that for a while. But why would the Son of God need to become a human being? We can answer that question with one word. What is it? Sin. All the suffering, all the death is a result of sin. All the hospitals and the cemeteries exist. In one word, sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, something awful happened to them. They went from having an innocent nature with a desire always to do good to a fallen nature with the inclination to do wrong. Because of this internal change of heart, they hid from God, even blamed God. But God came to them and shared with them, imagine this, what they did, and he shares with them words of hope. See, that's the God we serve. They received the promise that the Son of God would become a man and save them from their sinful condition. From the penalty of sin, which is death, And from their sinful nature then inclines them to always do wrong. Adam and Eve were so humbled by the news that they felt the cost was too high. It would be better just to let them die and pay the penalty for their own sins. Even faithful angels were willing to die so that Jesus would not have to die. Only one equal, though, to the transgressions of God's law could actually pay the price. No angel could pay that price. Simply said, God didn't want to lose Adam and Eve and any one of his billions of descendants. God would have created a whole God could have created a whole new world with people who looked just like us. But he didn't. He didn't want to. He didn't want a group of people that looked like us. He just wanted us. To rescue us from our sinful condition, God the Father would give to our little rebellious world his only son. The son would give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But to become our sacrifice, he would need to put on human flesh and become a man. So Adam and Eve looked for the speedy fulfillment of the promise. They had hoped that their firstborn son would have been the savior. Tragically, Cain became the first murderer. They kept waiting patiently. The promise tarried and Adam and Eve passed away without seeing the promised savior. The entire antediluvian world passed away except for eight people. Still, no Messiah. 
Abraham, Moses, and the prophets of old looked for the Savior to come. Century after century passed by. Where was he? The voices of the prophets would cease for three centuries. No prophets. And then, when the world seemed to be its darkest, when Rome oppressed God's people, Christ came. But before the birth of Jesus was the birth of John, the forerunner of Christ. From among the faithful in Israel, who had long waited for the coming of the Messiah, an aged priest named Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth were both, quote, righteous before God. And in their quiet and holy lives, the light of faith shone out like a star amid the darkness of those evil days. To this godly pair was given the promise of a son who should, quote, go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Zacchaeus dwelt in the hill country of Judea, but he had gone up to Jerusalem to minister for one week in the temple, a service required twice a year from the priests of each course, 24 courses. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. He was standing before the golden altar in the holy place of the sanctuary. The cloud of incense with the prayers of Israel was ascending before God. Suddenly he became conscious of a divine presence. An angel of the Lord was standing on the right side of the altar. The position of the, of the angel was an indication of favor being on the, on the right side. But Zacchaeus took note, note of this. For many years he had prayed for the coming of the Redeemer. Now heaven had sent his messenger to announce that these prayers were about to be answered. But the mercy of God seemed too great for him to credit. He was filled with fear and self-condemnation. But he was greeted with the joyful assurance. Fear not, Zacchaeus. Could you imagine listening to that? For thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness. And many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacchaeus said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Zacchaeus well knew how to Abraham in his old age a child was given because he believed him faithfully who had promised. But for a moment, the aged priest turns his thoughts to the weakness of humanity. He forgets that what God has promised, he, God, is able to perform. What a contrast between this unbelief and the sweet childlike faith of Mary, the maiden of Nazareth, whose answer to the angel's wonderful announcement was, Behold, 
the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. What a beautiful statement, isn't it? The birth of a son to Zacchaeus, like the birth of the child of Abraham and that of Mary, was to teach a great spiritual truth. A truth that we are slow to learn and ready to forget. In ourselves, we are are incapable of doing any good thing. But that which we cannot do will be done by the power of God in every submissive and believing soul. It was through faith that the child of promise was given. It is through faith that spiritual life is begotten. And we are enabled to do the works of righteousness. To the question of Zacchaeus, the angel said, I am Gabriel and stand in the presence of God. And I am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. 500 years before, Gabriel had made known to Daniel the prophetic period, which was to extend to the coming of the Lord. The knowledge that the end of this period was near had moved Zacchaeus to pray for the Messiah's advent. Now the very messenger through whom the prophecy was given, isn't that so neat, (laughs) had come to announce its fulfillment. Gabriel's pretty special to us. The words of the angel, I am Gabriel, that stands in the presence of God, shows that he holds a position of high honor in the heavenly courts. Wonderful thought that the angel who stands, perhaps next in honor to the Son of God, is the one chosen to open the purposes of God to sinful man. The Holy Spirit now rested upon Zacchaeus, and in these beautiful words he prophesied of the mission of his own son. Thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. An angel would now appear to Mary, saying, Be not afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Mary answered, how can this be since I do not know a man? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Mary and Joseph were engaged. But when she was with child, Joseph knew that the child was not his. Joseph, being a just man, did not want to make Mary a public example. So he thought of ending the marriage agreement secretly. As he thought upon these things, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife. She would bring forth her firstborn son and call his name Jesus. While Mary was pregnant, 
a decree came forth from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Everyone needed to return to the place of their birth for the census. So Joseph and Mary made their way to Bethlehem. It was a difficult journey for Mary because she was about to give birth. They finally made it to Bethlehem, but there were no rooms in the inn. At last, they found refuge in a manger with its beast of burden. It was there in the lowly manger that the Son of God was born. Unseen angels had protected Joseph and Mary as they journeyed from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Many more angels arrived in Bethlehem to rejoice in the birth of the world's Redeemer. The hills of Bethlehem were brighter for their presence. There were shepherds upon the hills watching their sheep. An angel spoke to them, saying, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Then suddenly the entire hillside was brightened by these angels, and they began to sing. Glory to God in the highest and on peace, on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. It was so beautiful. The angels sung in perfect harmony, eight-part harmony, and their voices echoed throughout the hills. The shepherds had never seen such a wonderful display of power and beauty. When the angels had gone away and the glory faded, the shepherds went immediately to Bethlehem. They came to the manger and saw Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus. Then the shepherds shared with them the amazing appearance of the angels along the hillside. When the shepherds returned to their flocks, they praised God for his goodness and began to spread far and near all that they had heard and seen. The story of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem is a love story. It is a story about giving. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The same love that caused the Father to give his Son is the same love that caused Jesus to give himself. As Paul wrote, Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for her. Paul also would make it more personal by saying, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. It is true. Jesus gave himself for each one of us. But it even gets more personal. Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Jesus made this promise saying, in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. The most believable words in all the universe are the words of Jesus. Jesus. There can be no doubt that he wants us to be with him forever. After all, he became one of us. And died for us. Now I must ask myself. If Jesus gave himself for me. How should I live? Jesus said for even the son of man did not come to be served. But to serve. If Jesus gave himself for me. Then lived a life of service. 
then my best preparation for his soon return is to live a life of loving service. When describing the judgment, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory on all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. The great law of life is to receive for the purpose of giving. In the things of nature, we see this lesson taught. As the sun shines upon our little world, the flowers, trees, and shrubs receive its life-giving rays. And in return, these plants not only breathe a fragrance, but also pour forth life-giving elements that support life to both man and beast. The oceans receive from rivers, lakes, and streams, and in return, rain is formed to shower upon the earth. In heaven itself, Jesus, the Son of God, receives all things from his Father, but he always takes to give to others. Through the Son, the love of the Father flows out to all. The angels themselves gathered around the throne of God and are willing to be un- and unselfishly and tirelessly to give to the human family. They work in close communion with God to bring light and love to our world. But the beautiful law of receiving to give was broken in our world. Selfishness entered into the heart of man. But there is hope. The Father gave his Son. The Son gave himself. He lived a life of service in our flesh and blood that the great law of life might be manifested in us. Consider this wonderful promise. Jesus said, Whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these, the least, a cup of cold water, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. It is true that God keeps a record of all the good that we do. The Bible says, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. If you visit someone in prison, it is written down. If you help an elderly lady across the street, it is written down. If you use your time, talent, and resources to help others, it is all recorded in the book of remembrance. A kind word spoken, written down. A letter of hope and encouragement, written down. We can, by God's grace, live this beautiful life of receiving to give because Jesus was born in our world. The life giver came and made it possible for us to be givers too.